Now, self-determination, it is a downright lie. You know, self-determination, this, the belief that you can control your own destiny, that you're the master of your fate, that you can be independent and autonomous, that you can do what you want to do, be what you want to be, yeah? The idea that if you want something badly enough and you're prepared to work hard enough for it, then you can get it. It is a downright lie. And yet it's something that we're sold all the time. Advertising tells us that we're the most important person in the world, that we're worth it. Charities tell us that we can make a difference, saving the world one life at a time. We can make, together we can make poverty history. You know, films, they show us that we can overcome any of life's hardships. I'm my own master, I've just got to believe in myself and follow my dreams and everything will turn out okay, it'll all be a happy ending. And what about songs? They're just full of this stuff. If you've got teenage kids, do you know what songs they're listening to? Here's a popular one that's doing the rounds at the moment. It goes a bit like this. Yeah, you could be the greatest. You can be the best. You can be the King Kong banging on your chest. You could beat the world. You could beat the war. You could talk to God, go banging on his door. And it goes on. Do it for your country. Do it for your name. Because there's going to be a day when you're standing in the Hall of Fame and the world's going to know your name because you burn with the brightest flame. The world's going to know your name because you'll be written on the walls of the Hall of Fame. And it is just rubbish. It's a lie. And this is the kind of stuff that our kids are listening to. This is the stuff that all of us are being told all the time. And so many of us have just completely bought into it. And we just make it worse. We ask our kids when they're two and three and four years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like if they decide, then that's it. And we set five and ten and twenty year plans, like we can even change what's going to happen tomorrow. Self-determination is a lie. And it is a dangerous lie. It's dangerous because it teaches us to doubt the way that God says things are. As far as God's concerned, when we try and set the agenda for our lives, it just ends in disaster. This morning we'll see just how disastrous it is when we try and reject the agenda that God has set for our lives and we try and set our own agenda. We're going to pick up where we left off last week with a God who creates powerfully and purposefully. And what we're going to see is that he set an agenda for the lives of the people he made. We'll look on as God's agenda is then tragically rejected. And we'll see the terrible consequences for the rejecting God's agenda. Well, hopefully you remember from last week, if you were here, that God did have an agenda for the world. And that was for humanity, the pinnacle of his creation, to live at peace with him. What we didn't touch much on last week is that God wants humanity to trust him in that. He wants people to trust that the agenda he said is good. And look, we can see that in Genesis 2. If you've got that in front of you, Uh, Genesis 2, in the whole of the chapter, right, God only gives one command to the man that he put there in the garden. 
It's there in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. At the heart of God's command here is for people to trust that his agenda is good. And so if the man trusts God, if he obeys, he'll continue to live at peace with God in God's garden. And that's God's agenda. He wants people to live at peace with him. He wants us to trust that his agenda is good. But if the man doubts God, if he disobeys, his life with God in the garden will end. He will surely die, God says. It's a bit like the relationship between me and my children. I want them to grow up to be healthy and strong. That's part of my agenda for them. And so I say to them, look, if you're hungry, go to the fridge. You're free to eat whatever fruit you can find there, okay? Go for your lives. But just don't eat the big block of butter. It is so bad for you. It's so unhealthy. And hopefully they trust that I want what's best for them. Friends, make no mistake, God wants what's best for the people he's made. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to obey him. He wants us to keep living at peace with him. The agenda that God set for our lives is good. And so that just makes what happens next an even greater tragedy. Because in the very next chapter, God's people completely reject God's agenda. Let's pick it up from Genesis 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, No, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, because God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. What an utterly tragic picture that is. Friends, this is just one disaster after another here, one rejection after another. The serpent, one of the crawling creatures that God had made, he comes in and he tricks the woman. And the woman who was to be a helper to the man, unhelpfully gives some of the fruit to her husband. And the husband, who was supposed to be the leader, the head, he meekly and unquestioningly and idiotically, he takes it and he eats it too. And you're just left wondering, what is going on here? Like, what just happened? God's command was so clear. You can eat from any tree, but just don't eat from that one. Don't eat from that one or you will surely die. Verse 2. 
But the people God made, they doubt God's goodness. They mistrust his agenda. Now, it's even worse than that, isn't it? They don't just mistrust his agenda. They completely and utterly reject it. Now, look, at one point we can sit here and we can read this and we can agree even that things certainly got messed up there. But it wasn't us. We're not Adam and Eve. And that's right. But friends, at the same time, what we're reading about here, this is the pattern that's been repeated over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, ad nauseum, in the lives of every single person that's lived since. Every single one of us has rejected God's agenda. But even more than that, on a much, much bigger scale, this first rejection of God's agenda, it was absolutely disastrous because it broke God's good world. We get a hint of just how disastrous it is, of just how broken the world is in what is one of the most beautiful but also one of the most absolutely tragic verses in the entire Bible. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. Have a look with me. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now what a stunningly beautiful picture that is. A picture of God's agenda for the world. In the cool of the day. I like to think it was the cool of the evening because I'm from evening church, but you might like to think it's the cool of the morning. In any case, it's, you know, the shadows are lengthening, the sun's not quite hot enough yet, but it's making light. It's a beautiful, beautiful time of the day. And God himself comes walking through the, the good garden that he's made. And there's this amazing picture of the possibility of God and his people living at peace together, resting and enjoying and luxuriating in the good world that God's made. An amazing picture. But did you notice what the man and his wife were doing? Hiding among the trees of the garden. And what follows is this scene that would be almost comical if it wasn't so absolutely tragic. As the man and his wife try and hide behind some bushes from the God of the universe. How dumb is that? And that's just a picture of how dumb it is that puny people like us think we can reject God's agenda for his world. That puny people like us think we can set our own agenda how dumb is that? And friends, the rest of the chapter, it just gets more and more and more frustrating as the consequences for rejecting God's agenda are spelled out. Take verse 16, for example. God says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The woman was meant to be a helper for her husband. 
Now her desire will be for her husband, which seems to have the connotations that her desire will in fact be for her husband's role, for his position, for his authority. In any case, now the husband is going to rule over her. And there's just this picture of this constant rubbing and tension and bickering and nagging and arguing and toing and froing, and it's frustrating. What about verse 17? Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food. Look, in God's good world, the man was absolutely supposed to work. He was supposed to take care of it and guard for it and protect it and grow it and cultivate the garden. Good work. And now in the broken world, we still work. Only now it's painful and it's difficult. And work is just this arduous toil all in the pursuit of just surviving. And look, I'm sure you can identify with this. You know, you get up in the morning, you're faced with a long day's work and it's hard. You slog away all day and you feel like you're getting nowhere. You might be sweating it out under the hot sun. You might be sitting in front of a computer screen all day, getting your brain frazzled. Also, at the end of the day, you can come home and put some bread on the table, collapse into bed exhausted and sleep so you can get up in the morning and do it all again. And it is just frustrating. And you know what makes the whole thing even worse? It's all just biding time until the inevitable comes. God says to the man, by the sweat of your brow you'll eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. There's just this cycle, isn't there? You'll work and you'll eat and you'll work and you'll eat and you'll work and you'll eat and you'll work and sooner or later you'll die. And you'll go back to the dust that you came from. Friends, this world is broken. Life is frustrating. Your friends can be frustrating. Your children can be frustrating. Your spouse can be frustrating. Your work can be frustrating. And knowing that in the end, death is just inevitable, it just makes the whole thing infinitely more frustrating. And so wouldn't it be lovely? Wouldn't it be lovely to think that this world can be fixed up now? Wouldn't it be great if your friend stopped doing that really annoying thing that ticks you off all the time? Wouldn't it be great if your boss understood you? Wouldn't it be great if you no longer, no more, disagreed with your spouse? If you no longer argued with one another or hurt one another or disappointed one another? How amazing would it be if having children was easy? If everyone who wanted to have children could? If no more children died before they grew up? If birth wasn't painful? Imagine how good it would be if they obeyed you all the time. How good would it be if work was always fulfilling and enjoyable and worthwhile and your work was something that helped people 
And it was sustainable for the world. And it wasn't hard and painful and frustrating. Wouldn't that be lovely? How amazing would it be if this world can be fixed up now? But it can't. Have a look at the end of Genesis 3, verse 23. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. By the end of Genesis 3, only three chapters into the Bible, there's already this impassable barrier between the people and the garden. And God's agenda of peace, it just seems further away than ever before. And you're just left wondering, can people ever be at peace with God again? There's this feeling of just absolute despair. Can we ever be at peace with God? Now, of course, as Christians, we know we can, don't we? We know we can. Through Jesus, we can be at peace with God. The New Testament book of Romans makes it clear. Through the disobedience of one man, through Adam's disobedience, the world was broken. Humanity was separated from God. Humanity was made God's enemies. But in the same way, through the obedience of one man, through Jesus' obedience, many will be made righteous. Friends, the great news is that as we trust in Jesus, as we trust in his obedience, as we trust in his death and resurrection, we're at peace with God even now. Even now. But friends, even now, as Christians at peace with God, we still live in a fallen and broken world. We live in a world where the very creation itself is groaning, waiting for the day when it will be freed from the consequences of rejecting God's agenda, groaning, waiting for the day when all barriers are removed when we can fully and finally live together with God at peace. But friends, that day hasn't come yet. Now what does all of this mean for the course of your life? Well friends, in the end, what we've been thinking about this morning, it is the basic problem with the world. Humanity's foolish sinful rebellion against our creator and our master. You see, in the end, no matter how often we try and grab power, no matter how hard we try and take it, God is still God. God is still in control. And when we try and reject God's agenda for our lives and when we try and set our own agenda, it brings disaster. Look, for a start, it means that the course of our lives will come to an end. 
we will return to dust. And frustratingly, that means that many of our treasured dreams and hopes and ambitions are just rendered foolish and absurd because they'll just dissolve into dust as well. It also means that as we travel along the course of our lives, as you know, we move along the path from birth to death, it will be hard. We ought to expect relationships to be frustrating. We ought to be, expect work to be difficult. The course of our lives won't just be sunshine and rainbows and lollipops and clouds and stuff. There will be rocks and thorns and sweat. The course of our lives will be painful and hard and frustrating and difficult. But the biggest implication for the course of our lives, the biggest implication is that we need to repent. We need to repent of the foolish dream that we can actually control our lives. We need to repent of the dream that we can bend the world to our will, that we can control our destiny. And so let me ask you, are you still living with the fantasy that you're in control? Are you still living with the fantasy that you can chart the course for your life, that you can control your destiny, that you can make all your dreams come true? Are you still living with the fantasy? Friends, for the rest of this term, we're going to see God's answer to the frustration and the evil and the injustice and the death that scar our lives in this broken world. But before we can hear God's answer, before we can hear God's answer, we need to repent. We need to repent of thinking that we can fix all those problems on our own. Let's pray. Our great God and loving Heavenly Father, we want to reaffirm that we believe that you are the creator. You are sovereign. You made us and we are yours. And you are in control. Father, we're so sorry for all the times that we, try, that we ignore you, that we try and take power for ourselves, that we reject your good agenda for our lives. Father, please forgive our foolishness and our arrogance in our rebellion. Father, as we continue to think about your will, your plans for your world and for us, Father, please humble us. We don't want to keep rebelling and fighting against you. We want to be people who live lives according to your will. We want to be people who honour and glorify you and your son, Jesus. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that through him we can be at peace with you even now. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.